Thinking aloud. Conversations on the leading edge of knowledge and discovery with psychologist Jeffrey Mishlove. Hello and welcome. I'm Jeffrey Meshlove. Our topic today is UFO contactees. My guest, once again, is Greg Bishop. He is co-author of the book A is for Adamski, a book about UFO contactees. He is also the author of Project Beta, a book that we've talked about dealing with the national security state and the development of modern UFO mythology. And the final book, It Defies Language, a collection of his essays about uh, UFOs and ufology. Welcome, Greg. Hello. Thanks, Joe. It's a pleasure once again to be with you. You're the co-author of A is for Adamski, and I already forgot your co-author's name, so let's let our viewers know. Adam Go-Rightly. Adam Go-Rightly. Yeah, he's written quite a few books, everything from um, Charles Manson to uh, uh, one on um, the uh, co-founders of the Discordian religion uh, on Kerry uh, uh, Thornley. So yeah, his 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 interests are vast and and varied, and um, he asked if I wanted to do this book with him because we've known each other for years and we've talked about the UFO contactees for years. And he, one day he just said, "You want to do just an encyclopedia of UFO contactees?" I said, "Of course," because it forces me to research something that I would like to know about, which is why you you know write anything pretty much. Well, back in the day when I was a graduate student in Berkeley, uh, my mentor in those years was Arthur M. Young, the inventor of the Bell helicopter, mm -hmm. and he purchased a collection of all the books he could find from the UFO contactees mm -hmm. and donated them to the local library there because he felt this is so important that we need to be paying attention to people who say they've had face-to-face -face communication often lengthy conversations with ostensible extraterrestrial beings. Yeah. Well, it's a theme that's been, it's, it's been throughout history. Human contact with something that's non-human, that is giving them messages about the meaning of life, the future, um, uh, the uh, security, safety, or whatever, uh, uh, sanity of the human race. And... Um, you know, a very a spiritual message. And so, you know, the contactee movement uh, was, <laughs> it was, it fits very comfortably in the history of religious uh, uh, development revelation, you know, and uh, people even called, have even called the contactees modern saints. Well, it's not so different from people who claim that they were visited by an angel. Yeah. No, it's, a, it, you know, it, in general, it's kind of the same thing. And people, uh, their culture, their, the time frame, they will take whatever that is and, you know, push it through that filter. And it ha sometimes it happens to be a Catholic or a Christian filter. Sometimes it happens to be a Hindu filter or, or a Zen filter or whatever. But all these people seem to be reporting the same thing, that something that is not them has contacted them and told them that uh, there's something important they need to, uh, uh, to communicate to other people. And they've been chosen to do this. Um, and that can range anywhere to me from an actual 
in discarnate intelligence that is talking to people to, to somebody completely making it up. And if you look at the contactees, I think that, um, that, that, that spectrum is represented very well throughout the contactee movement, at least the parts we examine in the book, which was very early. We even go into, you know, Blavatsky, I believe, because she said that she had, uh, entities talking her, to her from Mars and Venus and things like that, and goes all the way up to pretty much, uh, 70s, 80s, sometimes in 1970s, 80s, sometime in there. But through that period, the, the, the mid 20th century to the, you know, later mid 20th century, there was a lot of activity around, around this. And the, you know, the, the new model for it was the UFO because in 1947, people became very interested in what they called, eventually called flying saucers. So there's a ready made model for these, these new saints to use. To, um, uh, to, to tell people where these messages were coming from. And it's funny because uh, every time a friend of mine, Donna Cossey, pointed out, as time went on, the aliens, whoever the, who, the space people, started coming from further and further away as astronomy made more strides into, you know, what, what is further away from the, the solar system. So they went from being in, from Mars and Venus and Jupiter and all that all the way out to, you know, people from, you know, different star systems systems now and different galaxies and all that. And um, I don't think that takes away from the messages and I don't think it takes away from the reality of the phenomenon at all. It To me, it makes it richer and more interesting. The, the book at times is a little bit cynical, but there's a lot of funny stuff involved with the contactees. Um, just like there is now, a friend of um, another friend of mine, um, uh, Josh Cutchin, says that that disreputability is baked into the UFO thing. It's just there. It's always going to be there, and you have to deal with it, honor it, accept it, and laugh at it too when it's funny. Well, it's becoming a little less disreputable in recent yes. years, yes, because of uh, government acknowledgement. Now. Uh, your book is titled A is for Adamski. That makes sense. George Adamski was one of the first and certainly one of the most famous of the contactees. Yeah, he was. He um, he's Sometime in the early 1950s, he said that he was contacted and told to go out to the desert to a certain place in Southern California in the desert, which I've been to. It's actually kind of interesting. Uh, and psychically told to drive out there with one of the other contactees, George Hunt Williamson, and then um, his wife or girlfriend and, and Adamski's uh, uh, secretary. And he told them to park the car and he was going to run over. He, he said that the, there, a, a ship landed and I have to go over and meet it. And the two people, the three other people with him signed an affidavit saying they saw the ship and saw him meeting with somebody. Um, he said this, uh, this ship landed, uh, you know, a few hundred yards away from him. A being came out and waved at him and said, you know, hello, hello, George, mm -hmm. and met with him for a while. And uh, the first meeting was the message we always hear. Mankind is in trouble. Nuclear weapons are going to destroy the planet unless something is done about it. And that um, uh, you have been chosen to give our message to, to, uh, to the Earth people. And uh, strangely enough, right after, um, he called his friends over and there were footprints in the ground from his, his space brother friend who he called Orthon. And they made plaster casts of the footprints. And the footprints had, uh, had uh, symbols in them as if he had sneakers on with alien writing on them. Mm -hmm. And his friend uh, Williamson uh, supposedly decoded these symbols, which he called the Solex Mall. So S O L E X M A L. Um, he said that was the, the the alien language. 
that's a whole nother part of uh, UFO study is uh, the study alien of languages. alien languages and, yeah. and scripts and things. Mm-hmm. I had a friend, Mario Pozzaglini, uh, he was a psychologist. So that was his psychologist. That was his specialty was uh, alien languages and received scripts. But anyway, um, uh, Adamski, uh, at that point, he started writing up his uh, 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 his experiences and publishing them and going on the lecture circuit. And he had, he was a compelling speaker and a nice person. You know, he was charismatic. And uh, so his message got out to quite a few people. I mean, there's there's always a there's always like a superstar in any in any uh, uh, field, and Damsky turned out to be the one. I was a child when I read his book. Me too. Yeah. I, when I told you in the other interview that I'd go to the library and just get all these books on UFOs, and one of them was Inside the Spaceships. Yeah. His first book, and it fascinated me. I totally one hundred percent believed it when I read it. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, to my mind, if you talk about contactees. Uh, Adamski, I, I'm pretty sure he either channeled or made up a lot of the stuff that he talked about. But there are others like Ofeo Angelucci, who people consider a little bit more of a mystic and a little bit less. He doesn't seem like a sophisticated type to be able to do this. And so my idea about the lot of contactees is that they had mystical experiences and they chose to um, communicate them in this, you know, new form, which was, you know, space people coming and telling them these things. Um, and that these actual experiences um, became, you know, be- became connected to the UFO thing because that was the popular thing at the time and something you could take something like this and, and take all these ideas and put them on some some mystery that can't really be checked out. And that, I mean, that's, you know, uh, what I can't remember which saint said this, but his, his, uh, his idea... His quote was, um, I believe because it is absurd. <laughs> because it makes no logical sense. Um, and so what's the guile behind making no logical sense? There must be a message in there. And the messages, and from all the contactees, were messages of, um, of uh, brotherhood and um, compassion, things like that. All wonderful messages, you know, and... Uh, very few of them had anything negative to say or anything except about humanity. Well, I uh, recall being in the uh, Joshua Tree, Palm Desert uh, area, 29 Palms. Mm-hmm. Uh, Adamski had a property in that area, in the, in the desert. He was well-known, and he yeah. built— That was George Van Tassel, actually. Oh, is that Van Tassel? Another, another contactee, oh, okay. yes. Who built this uh, building. It was called the Integraton, as I recall. That it's was Van Tassel. Yes, it's still there. It was supposedly uh, for healing mm-hmm. purposes. Yeah. I know the people that own that that mm-hmm. uh, building now. It was abandoned for many years. It almost it almost went into disrepair and fell down, but they took it over and restored it. And it's a beautiful building. George Van Tassel uh, used to work for, I believe, Hughes Aircraft. And he was a pilot. He was a private pilot. And so am I. So I have this kind of, you know, spiritual connection to George Van Tassel. Mm-hmm. But he he uh, leased uh, some land from the government, BLM land, um, out near uh, Joshua Tree, 29 Palms, near a little town called Landers, which was named after a woman, a f- family that founded it, the Landers family. Uh, and he used to go out there. He lived in Los Angeles. But a guy came into his service station. He was working at a service station at the time, or happened to be there, and his car broke down. And he was a guy, uh, a, a prospector that lived out in the desert. His name was Frank Kreitzer, German. And he told 
Van Tassel about this giant rock out in the desert and how he, you know, he was uh, living there. And Van Tassel thought this would be a nice place to go out and take my family and camp. Mm -hmm. And he did. Kreitzer eventually was, um, he became under suspicion during World War II of being a spy since he was German. And some deputies came out and either killed him or set off some dynamite and blew him up. Oh. Yeah. Uh, Van Tassel moved out there. He said there was still like blood on the on the walls of this this build this um, uh, 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 dwelling he'd built underneath giant rock. He just tunneled underneath it, oh. and you know poured in concrete and made walls and basically lived there because in the in the desert in the summer it's nice and cool in there. It would be like twenty degrees, thirty degrees cooler than outside. Now there is a yeah. place out there. In fact, I'm scheduled to visit in a few weeks oh. called Giant Rock. Yes, it's still there. Big rock. It is. It split about twenty years ago, so it's not as giant as it used to be. But it's. Still, I mean, you can see what yeah. it was. I actually started going out there before it split. I have plans to visit with my sister-in-law, but tell me, you're saying there, there was a structure underneath it? Yes. People are digging it out, too. If you're brave enough, you can actually crawl under there and see part of it. Right. I actually, you know, I threw rocks in there to make sure there were no snakes or anything. Mm -hmm. And I crawled under to look because it's been covered up for years. The, the government came out and filled it in mm -hmm. after Van Tassel died. But for a while, Van Tassel had... Um, was having conventions out there, contact the UFO conventions, because he moved out there and he decided this was a nice place to retire to and bring his family to. I don't know how his family felt about it, mm -hmm. but <laughs> he built a, um, he was a private pilot, so he built an airstrip. Actually, Kreitzer had already um, scraped off an airstrip there. Mm -hmm. You can still see the airstrip. Um, and he built a little building so pilots could come out there because pilots, what they would do, would, we call it now the $100 hamburger. They would just go places. They would fly to airports and just have something to eat. Hmm. Um, but he built this little, uh, uh, a little pilot lounge and, you know, bathrooms and all that and a little, uh, uh, a cafe called the Come On In. Yeah. And his wife would, uh, his wife would make hamburgers and, and, and apple pie. And so these pilots would come out uh, and visit. But after a while, um, it became a mecca for UFO enth uh, uh, enthusiasts and contact people who were fans of the contactees because he said that he was before he built the structure, he was out there camping, sleeping on the desert floor, and uh, somebody approached him in the middle of the night and said, "We would be pleased to show you our craft." And he said he got up and went and went inside this this UFO and you know the the this uh, being I can't remember what his being's name was, but he said that he would uh, he had messages to give to the people of Earth and he wanted Van Tassel to help him with these messages, and so because of that he started writing books about it and then he started these conventions called the uh, Giant Rock Interplanetary Spacecraft Conventions, which ran from the mid 1950s to the end of the 1970s, which was when um, uh, Van Tassel died. But he built the Integraton. Yeah, he said that the space people had um, uh, uh, psychically or telepathically instructed them on how to build this machine that would make people, uh, it was basically a rejuvenation machine that would keep people young um, so that they wouldn't have, uh, so as he said, they wouldn't have to reincarnate to, to take care of their karma. Mm. And uh, he said when it was finished, people could just walk through it and all their cells would be rejuvenated. They could live a lot longer and work out their karma that way in one life instead of having to live uh, a bunch of lives. Um, he built most of it uh, and it was supposed to actually have moving parts in it. The entire thing is built without any metal fasteners. He did the entire thing with uh, just with glue and wood. 
Um, and it looks like an observatory. It's just yeah. basically a, a round building with a dome. Yes. And uh, uh, it was supposed to act as a machine. And the bottom part was supposed to be a, 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 a capacitor, like a battery. And people would walk through one door and out the other. He had drawings about how this would work. And uh, but he died before it could be finished. And it, it, he had a, a magazine called the the, um, uh, the 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 Proceedings of the College of Universal Wisdom, which is what he called his school. Um, and he asked people for donations for the Integratron because the space people told him he's supposed to build it. And money poured in, and he actually got the money and built this thing. Mm -hmm. But it never got completed. He never got to the point where it actually worked. It was supposed to work on uh, the the middle part was supposed to spin, mm -hmm. and there were little um, uh, posts sticking out. It was supposed to create a static electric charge and build up the static electric charge inside the building. And now it you know it doesn't work. If I was you know if I was a multimillionaire, I would put money in and have it fixed so it would actually work. <laughs> I would love to see that thing working. Yeah. If for nothing else, just to you know um, uh, get Van Tassel's dream uh, realized. But yeah, he did these conventions for years and all the contactees came and gave presentations. He built a, a speaker's platform up on the rock. Mm -hmm. um, Adamski came. Um, George Hunt Williamson came. Um, um, Orfeo Angelucci, who I've mentioned, came. All these people would come and listen to these uh, lectures and people said they had sightings there and meetings with Space Brothers there. People also hoaxed them and sent up balloons to mess with them. Mm -hmm. it, was, it, was, it was just this this crazy hodgepodge of all these different people who are interested in UFOs. Everyone from total believers into the, uh, of the Space Brothers to people that were completely cynical but very interested in it. Edward Rappelt, who was the head of, um, uh, uh, was he head of Blue Book? He was a- uh, was Air Force a, pilot, was he? Yeah. Mm -hmm. He was extremely skeptical about the Space Brother thing, but he would go to the conventions because he just liked seeing these people and talking to them. Mm -hmm. um, I think that a lot of skeptics are like that now. They're very, very interested because they think it's a- you know, it's an interesting, crazy thing. I don't believe that, but it's so fun to go out there. And people would sell books and T-shirts, and there were female contactees there. It was, it was just, it was just kind of a, it was, it was, a, it was a wonderful circus for a while. Well, the whole UFO community has felt like a circus for a long time. Yeah, it has, and I kind of love that about it, Jeff. I mean, I don't, I kind of don't want it to be respectable or a completely. I don't want it to be, um, you know, uh, something where people are very serious because I don't think if there's, you know, uh, if there are space brothers, I don't think they want us to be totally serious about it either. Um, and that, you know, that tricksterish uh, element and the joy and all that, I think that's an important part of the UFO uh, uh, mythos, an important part of why people are interested in it. It shouldn't be lost. And I think that's why we were a little silly in the, you know, A.S. for Adamski book in pointing out when something was, was, was kind of silly. And, but also that the, the idea that some of these people did have actual real spiritual experiences and, and, uh, you know, opening, opening, openings up of, of, of awareness and. Well, Adamski's description doesn't sound like a spiritual experience so much as an actual encounter I mean, yeah. with the footprints on the ground and so yeah. on. I think they, wanted to give a spiritual message, but they wanted to also ground it in some sort of reality because that's what people wanted then. Mm -hmm. um, they weren't trying to get an audience of people that were just purely spiritual or believing in mm -hmm. uh, something that was not, they couldn't hold in their hands or see or whatever. So they had to present these artifacts to them. And I think that was, you know, part of the show. And I think they realized that. Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, 
we have to have we have to have a spiel here. People aren't going to listen to our to the message, and also I mean there's ego reasons for it, and uh, and uh, uh, just the way that popular culture works. Um, and they you know they 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 wanted to say this is grounded in science. This is you know the 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 space people are much more advanced than us in their scientific methodologies and what they've been able to do. Obviously, they can fly through space and in spaceships, and so because they have this magical um, uh, technology, they must have a, 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 a an insight into how this, the uh, the spirit works and how it can be developed to the point where it is um, it, it, it it instead of working against spirit and against compassion and against um, religion that we can integrate these two things. In fact, um, the uh, one of the groups, the uh, uh, Unarius Academy. Unarius uh, group, Unarius in uh, San Diego, which still exists. Mm -hmm. They're actually called the Unarius Academy of Science, and their their science is they say is a spiritual science given to them by the by uh, space people and, from and different. They, these are the people who have the book, the large book, Unarius book. No, oh wow, what's the name of that book? It's uh, 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 I can't remember the name of that big book. Well, I think it had Unarius in. There. Well, Unarius has a lot of different books. Okay. They've got, in fact, when I went down there to visit them the first, the first article I ever wrote about UFO anything was in 1987. I went and visited the Unarius Society. Mm -hmm. And uh, they gave me a stack of channeled books yeah. from Ruth Norman and her husband, uh, uh, um, Ernest Norman. Mm -hmm. And she was still alive at the time. Um, I'm still trying to think of the name of the book. It's a very famous channeled book. But it doesn't come from the contactee movement. But it's basically the same kind of thing. Most of the contactee stuff was either, they said, dictated them by Space Brothers or a lot of the times channeled. George Van Tassel used to have channeling sessions during these conventions. He would, they would go in the rooms under the giant rock and he would go into a trance. You can hear recordings of these online. You can find them where he just starts saying, I am so-and-so and I am I bring you love. And uh, today's lecture is about you know the spiritual body. And he would go into this lecture. And these things were transcribed and, and, and put in, in their books. So there's a real overlap between the contactee movement and uh, channeling movement. Yes, very much so. Um, and this is still present now. Uh, sure. People are still saying they're being contacted by space people and it's updated to now. Um, but yeah, there, there's a very um, specific history of channeled material. It goes back for, I mean, you, you could say that large parts of the Christian Bible were channeled. Mm. Um, so, and the Koran. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. And that they address spiritual truths so that it doesn't have to be, you know, it doesn't have to be where somebody actually goes, does research or talks to a spiritual master or whatever. The spiritual master channels these, these truths directly from whatever source they're, they're coming from. And the, um, the, the contactees, I think, uh, very much are in this tradition. And I think people in the 1950s, especially after the atomic bomb in World War II, uh, the beatnik movement was during that. There was a very, um, and there always has been in the United States, but especially after World War II, a very strong um, uh, outsider, anti-establishment uh, feeling about things that you know, we've trusted all these people to take care of us and they've given us wars and the atomic bomb. So how are we going to trust them on anything else? Yeah. 
um, to the point where the FBI actually investigated a lot of the contactees and were, were at the con at the UFO conventions and all that because they were afraid they were communist, you know, um, anti-government uh, 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 influence in there and could, you know, could be used to influence the, the people against the United States government. They were actually scared about that stuff. And um, uh, all these people wanted was um, some kind of assurance that we weren't here for nothing and weren't going to be blown to bits in any second. And, um, you know, it manifested as belief in space people who had our best interest in mind, mm -hmm. just as, you know, Jesus had our best interest in mind and uh, Lord Krishna had our best interest in mind and was trying to tell us how to deal with life in this plane and on this planet and in this physical um, existence so that it accorded with, you know, uh, uh, the highest spiritual principles. And this is what most of the contactees talked about. Whether they were charlatans or not, they all had this same message. Well, when I was in Berkeley in the 1970s, there was an organization called the One World Family headed by a fellow named Alan Noonan, who yeah. claimed to be a contactee. Yeah, I think they, he's later called Alan Michael. Yes, Alan Michael. I have one of their records. Uh -huh. They were lovely people. Yeah. I got to know them. They ran a restaurant in Berkeley, a big restaurant called The Mustard Seed, uh -huh. all <laughs> organic food. Uh -huh. uh, they uh, would associate with a very various other spiritual communities, yoga and Buddhism and so on. And they were known as one of the other New Age spiritual communities in yeah. the San Francisco Bay Area. Yeah. And they just happened to be getting their information from space people. Yeah. You know, and in the 70s, I think, late 60s and 70s, nobody cared where you got your message from as long as it, it aligned with, you know, your values. Mm -hmm. If it aligned with your values and you seemed like, you know, you had the best interests of everybody in mind, it was okay to have all this, this uh, mixing and matching and syncretism of these different groups. I recall meeting with uh, these people from the One World family. This was in the psychedelic era. They were taking psychedelics. Mm -hmm. And uh, they told me they were all together. They were outside. They were taking psychedelics when some UFOs appeared in the sky and wrote out the words, peace, love, and joy in the sky. Uh -huh. And everybody could see it. I don't doubt it. And if everybody is on drugs, I suppose that they're, they're going <laughs> to have a, a shared hallucination. The funny thing is people make the mistakes like they're on drugs, therefore it was not true. It's like, no, I think it's because that some spiritual part of them was opened up and that whether there were UFOs there or not, Whatever it was, that spiritual truth was revealed to them by that encounter. And that, um, you know, there, there's a spiritual truth to it. There doesn't have to be a physical truth to it mm -hmm. as long as it is, um, it aligns with their belief system and aligns with the message they're trying to get out to people. And, you know, Alan Michael, the funny thing is, we were talking about Giant Rock. I think, as I recall, his story was he got a psychic message one time to go out to a giant rock in the desert, and that would be what his destiny was. And he went out to one of the, uh, the Van Tassel conventions, and that's how he started his ideas about uh, uh, One World Family and how he, he began his, uh, his group. He was inspired by George Van Tassel, actually, by one of the other contactees. Mm -hmm. All the contactees that you've written about, and there are dozens, uh, who would you say, in your mind, has the greatest possibility of being credible? It's a loaded question because, you know, do you think spiritually credible, physically credible, you know, culturally credible? Um, in my mind, that question is credible, meaning do they believe their own story completely 
Are they absolutely sincere about it? Uh, and in that case, there's a few of them. The first one that comes to mind is Ofeo Angelucci because he was almost, to my mind, he didn't have enough guile in him to make anything up. And he wrote a few different books. One of them was um, Son of the Sun, uh, uh, talking about his uh, contact with uh, different space people and the, the things they told him. It was basically the same message. Mm -hmm. um, but his, if you read his material and you see, I've, I've seen actually video of him a long time ago, just he almost seems mystified in his sincerity about what happened to him. And actually, I think, um, I believe, I may be wrong, Carl Jung actually cited him as a true mystic in one of the books he wrote in the mm -hmm. Flying Saucers, A Modern Myth of Things Seen in the Skies. And um, the, I don't think Orfeo Angelucci actually made everything up. Everything that he talked about, he believed actually happened to him. And it's almost, you know, it's almost like he had a, a naive um, sense of mythology and about uh, a history of, of, of spirit and, and religion. He said that he was driving home from work one day. All these people seem to work for aerospace companies. He was driving home from work one day in Glendale, California, and he said he was crossing over a river, which is actually kind of significant. A river is, you know, is quite significant as a liminal space and a, and a boundary between different areas. He said he was driving over the river and he was told to pull, pull his, or a dry river actually, which is even more significant. He was told to pull his car off and a, uh, a being appeared to him and put a TV screen, as he said, in front of him and started showing him uh, uh, um, illustrations of what the world was like, what their world was like, spiritual truths about the, uh, about the, the human race, and actually offered him a drink to drink, and when he drank the drank this this uh, he said it was pearlescent. I think when he drank the this drink, he he be, his eyes became opened and it, it, to these to these spiritual truths. And this is you know this is this is a common theme throughout uh, uh, religion of people meeting people and either eating food or being taken to a place or invited in or or given something to drink. And uh, having this interaction with with uh, with uh, you know ascended masters or strangers like this from uh, that are non-human. Um, the other person that fascinated me, because of my art history background, was a woman named Paulina Peavy, who was born in 1900 and died in 1999. Mm. Um, she was an artist, and she wrote a book called "My Life with UFO." Um, what she said was sometime in the 1940, late 1940s, she visited a spiritualist church. And at that point, she realized that she was in contact with somebody who she called Lakaimo, And she drew pictures of him. She was an incredibly good artist. Um, and this entity called Lakaimo would uh, uh, channel her paintings to her. And every time she did a painting, she said she had to create a mask to, uh, uh, that she put over her face to allow her to communicate more, more um, clearly with her, with her um, alien channel, Lakaimo. And it, you can go online. You can see she was actually on Long John Neville once, and she channeled. Mm -hmm. And you can hear this, you can hear this uh, recording. And um, Neville actually asks her, so what is it like when you talk to these entities? And 
It's funny. She starts talking in her own voice, and then she goes ho 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 ho, and then her voice gets very deep. And she says,、uh, "You know, I am now speaking through Paulina PV. I am not Paulina PV." And she does this channeling session for about ten minutes, and then she drops out of it. And she, you know, apparently doesn't know what happened exactly. She goes, "Well, that's just what happens."、Mm. And I don't think she was making this up. I think she really did. If it didn't actually happen, she actually believed she was in contact with this entity that was guiding her life and telling her, you know, guiding her artwork, which is. Is stunningly beautiful her artwork,、mm. um, and that you know this is I consider her a contactee、um, because of the method by which she、uh, be, became inspired, and I you know there's a lot of people that、uh, are also artists that, that say the art doesn't come from them it comes through them. sure, and if you've ever done any kind of writing or any kind of creative work it seems like when you're on autopilot it is coming through you it's just waiting there and it has to come out through your hands and your fingers and your mind,、yeah. and that's kind of how she felt about her、um, inspiration. But hers happened to be personified in this person that she thought was、uh, an alien from some other planet, and it also had very feminist ideas that that would communicated through her. And and she said, in the future there will be no men, and all women will、um, have children with, with, without having sex with men, and women will run the planet, and eventually men will disappear. Because she was treated very badly when she was a child, and she had a very abusive husband, and so these things、uh, formed her her worldview.、Mm-hmm. And so, you know, what do you think is going to come out of something she channels, but a very strongly feminist message?、Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, I've uh, I had a guy on my show, this professor、uh, Stephen Finley, who you might want to have on your show from、uh, Louisiana State University, and he talked to me about.、Um, Uh, the Nation of Islam, and the 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 show was about the Nation of Islam as a UFO、uh, group or cult, because、oh. um, he said that uh, uh, Farrakhan, uh, Louis Farrakhan, is very interested in the UFO subject. He you can basically consider him a contactee because he says he contacted a、uh, he went to Mexico with a group sometime in the 1970s, I think. And saw a giant mothership on, above this mountain in Mexico, and talked to the people in there. And of course, their cosmology is that、um, uh, that the people in space who are in charge are are dark skinned,、mm-hmm. and that the 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 white the the white people on the planet are an aberration.、Um, and、uh, the first thing he does, I saw him lecture once. The first thing he did was show pictures of lynchings, and his he said, "I'm showing you this to show you that." The context of what this belief system is, and the context of the belief system is, we've been treated like this, and we don't want anything to do with your belief system. We have our own belief system, and that is where the you know a lot of the、uh, the tenets of the of uh, uh, the、um, the Farrakhan's group come from.、Mm-hmm. And so it's very interesting to see what set and setting these the different people have and how they. Um, uh, channel the 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 space brother message, whatever that happens to be, and it's it just shows you the varieties of experience that that come through and, and use the UFO、uh, and the space people idea as their lens. Obviously, from your telling of it, there's an enormous element of human psychology that colors each of these experiences. It has to be、um, when you're talking about you know. What uh, uh, making food or filling your gas tank or whatever—that's a very physical, actual taking out the trash or whatever. That's that's very easy for anybody to understand. 
But when you start talking about um, uh, things that not everybody has normal experience with, mm -hmm. your mind and your psychology and your culture and everything, your nervous system, your genetics, your upbringing, all this comes into how you frame and focus what this, whatever this weird experience was. And, you know, one of the ways to focus this weird experience in our culture is through religion and through spirituality and through these kind of beliefs. Whereas I said, I believe it because it is absurd. Mm -hmm. It is not, it's not something that can be explained normally. Therefore, we must come up with another explanation. And it, it makes it, almost, you know, in, in that case, it'll make something even more true. It becomes on another level a type of spiritual truth. Well, in your research of contactees, did you find any that were able to demonstrate unique, say, paranormal abilities or other unique abilities as a way of proving that their contact was authentic? The only one I can think of who you could probably call a contactee was the guy you wrote about, mm -hmm. um, um, T T Ted, Ted Owens. Owens. Yeah. Um, I would I would cite that as a very specific example of such a thing. And he didn't really, as, as I remember, he didn't really have a spiritual message so much. It's not so much, but it was there. At one time, he founded a church. Mm. He called it the Church of Sota, S-O-T-A, mm -hmm. which stood for Secrets of the Ages. Ah, uh-huh. So, yeah, there was a spiritual component. Yeah. I actually took his training, so uh -huh. uh, uh, he, he did a hypnotic training, and there were definitely spiritual elements there. Mm -hmm. I don't think, as far as I can recall, at least in the classic contactee sense, there weren't any, weren't any of the actual contactees that would say, here is, you know, they would not do tricks or they would not manifest anything or, mm -hmm. or tell the future or anything like that. Um, they, they, they basically would channel these spiritual truths and, and help people kind of deal with their anxieties that were coming to the fore in the middle of the 20th century. Uh, and I think that, uh, you know, and the only other one I could think of, if you could call him a contactee, I suppose it'd be Yuri Geller. Mm -hmm. And there's, you know, there's a, some spiritual component to what, to, to his uh, experiences. Um, but yeah, I mean, he very definitely de de demonstrated uh, 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 what people paranormal would call psychic and paranormal abilities. And, yeah. There's a, a lot of UFO lore uh, associated with him. Yeah, he said that's a, that. Yeah, he saw a UFO when he was a child, and that uh, it spoke to him. And then uh, when he was working with Buharik, he said there was a group called uh, Spectra, I believe, or the entity was called Spectra, yeah. and the group was called Huva, I think, yes. and they were they were channeling these uh, uh, these uh, messages through him. But you know he didn't he didn't create a religious uh, <laughs> movement based on his abilities. No, he tried to basically hide from all of that history. Yeah, because he thought I think he thought and maybe people told him it would take away from um, what he was trying to demonstrate in 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 labs with with mm -hmm. his with his uh, paranormal abilities yeah. and his psychic abilities, and so it it that was kind of stepped on. It's like well, we can't you can't be talking about that because otherwise scientists won't be interested. Well, well, you know, I think in the parapsychology community there was a strong sense that uh, looking into UFOs was taking things a step too far. We got enough trouble with <laughs> dealing with ESP and uh, yeah. psychokinesis where we don't need UFOs. And I think uh, on the ufology side, they felt much the same. Yeah, these, these, um, these groups didn't want to mix with each other, even though there was just so much evidence being thrown at them that the, there was so much mixing between the two yeah. or between the three or whatever. Mm -hmm. People that are into Bigfoot say they can channel Bigfoot.
you know, so it's it's these there or you know Bigfoot does psychic thing, um, and there's you know there's at least in the literature demonstrably people that have um, many people that have UFO encounters, especially closer ones, will start having psychic things happen in their life. They'll have poltergeist activity. They'll start channeling. You know, it it just it flips a switch in their mind, and different abilities seem to come out. Here we are in uh, 2000 and. 22. Mm-hmm. So there's still a lot of contactees out there. Are any of the currently popular contactees of interest to you? You know what's funny? The, the, the one that's most interesting to me is Whitley Strieber. Mm-hmm. I know he's the most famous one, but I've been talking to him for a few years, and, and it's funny because I tell him this, and he said, yeah, that's pretty much what's going on. Um, People ask me, why do you believe Whitley Strieber? Mm-hmm. Why do you believe that his stories about what's happened to him? And I tell them, I believe him in the same way I believe the Beatles wrote good music. Or I believe that, that um, you know, Salvador Dali made beautiful paintings. Or I believe that, uh, you know, what, you know, that Leonardo made beautiful paintings or whatever, or that, you know, uh, Stanley Kubrick made incredible movies. Mm-hmm. You're not, you can't ask the question, do you believe some, somebody's physical truth? I believe their, their vision and their spiritual truth. If I was standing there during whatever happened to Whitley or any abductee really, I don't know what I'd see. I don't know if I would see an alien in the room with them. I don't know if I'd see a mist floating around, or I would just see them jerking around on the bed. I have no idea. Um, and they, those may not even be the right questions. The important part of it to me is that they are trying to communicate what happened to them <clears throat> with the language and the metaphors that they have available to them and in the midst of those language and metaphors and the, their experiences that we can glean some sort of um, some sort of truth that becomes actually very personal and I think that the UFO thing is is going to be un- understood in the future on a personal level on an individual level and this is actually an idea I got from Whitley mm-hmm. he just said the visitor, visitors are trying to contact us in the most democratic way possible um, whatever you think the visitors are. And I do, I do actually think there are intelligences or something, an external source for what's going on with people that contact or say they contact entities or space brothers or whatever. In a lot of cases, there is some sort of external source. It's been, it's been, we've discussed it, it's been that way throughout history. Something happens to somebody, they are changed very profoundly and they want to communicate that with people. They want to integrate it into their lives so that they can live with it and they don't have to worry about it and don't have to be disturbed and don't have to lose sleep. Um, whatever explanation or, or truth that they can come to that helps them deal with this and continue on with their lives in some sort of normal, you know, way without without having been to be committed or given drugs or whatever that's what's most important and so i think that if you can come to your own truth with it you can actually you you can actually get a greater understanding and i the thing that made me think about this is you go to a ufo convention or some place where contactees or abductees more likely now are talking or somebody that's just had an experience. They can have completely different experiences. I saw 
something come up to my car or I saw something in my bedroom or whatever. Their, their experiences could have no intersection of, of, the, 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 uh, of the recall or the physical experience, but they both know that the same thing happened to them. Just intuitively, they'll know that they're, they've both experienced something that's out of the ordinary. And to me, that's a key to what's going on here and why I'm kind of pushing for, I'm sorry we can't reproduce it scientifically, but we can reproduce the understanding, you know what I mean, on an individual basis. And I don't think the UFO, the UFO subject is presented to people in a way that can be discussed as we just you know, as we discuss politics or anything practical. It has to be discussed in a way where everybody knows what they're talking about, even though they all have different ways to describe it. And that I think that reality is the most bedrock reality you can find about the UFO subject right now. Well, it reminds me of the Dylan uh, line. There's something going on here, but you don't know what it is. Exactly. <laughs> Do you, Mr. Jones? Uh -huh. Jung said there's something is seen, but no one knows what. And he said this in the 1950s, and it's as true now as it was then. Well, Greg Bishop, once again, a delightful, informative conversation. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much for being with me. Thank you for having me. And for those of you listening or watching, thank you for being with us. Thank you.